The people of God are called to be a set apart people. We, Bayleaf Baptist Church, we are called to be holy. We are called to be noticeably different as we saw last week when we studied the Beatitudes. The people of God's kingdom, citizens within God's kingdom are to live such different lives, to be so committed to the Lord, the things of God, to, to what he desires, that we are noticed. We're called to stand out. I kind of relate it to the times I've been able to travel to sub-Saharan Africa. Like many of you, I love traveling to Kenya. I've been to Ethiopia. Wonderful places to visit and minister. Wonderful people there. We have wonderful ministry partnerships. A lot of gospel need. Unsurprisingly, though, every time I go to Kenya or Ethiopia, I really stand out. I look very different than everyone else around there, noticeably so. My accent is different. My clothes are different. My skin color is different. It's clear that I belong in another place. And while there are many things that we hold in common as human beings, I stick out. People look at me. They notice me. When we're driving even down the road, they'll point at me and acknowledge me because I am so different than what they expect. And here's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning, Bayleaf Baptist Church. Are we noticeably different? Are we noticeably different? Do we look like citizens of a different kingdom? Because Jesus is calling us to be different. He is calling us to be set apart. He tells us in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that God expects us to be set apart according to his divine standard for his glory. He's, he's calling us to himself to be set apart according to his divine standard for his glory. And we need to acknowledge the, the responsibility of that and the weight of that. But here's what's also very exciting, very joy-inducing about the teaching of Jesus here. He doesn't just put that weight upon us. He doesn't, he doesn't just declare that expectation over us. He also describes how through the work that God sent him to do, he will enable us to finally be the set-apart people. The people of God have always had this expectation, but now in Jesus, now through the work of Christ, it is actually possible for us to live in this set-apart way because in Christ, God has provided a way for us to live holy and distinct lives. So let's look this morning, Matthew chapter 5, at how Jesus describes kingdom citizens, how he calls us to be set Apart. We're going to cover verses 13 to 30, but we're going to begin this morning in verses 13 to 16. Here's what the Word of God says. You, and remember, Jesus is speaking here to disciples, not the crowds, disciples. You, those who, those who follow me, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As Jesus continues to teach us about his kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount, he challenges his disciples to be noticeably different. If, if you're really a citizen of my kingdom, people will notice. And Jesus uses the language of salt and light here to help us understand what our set-apartness should look like and how our set-apartness will be utilized to advance the kingdom and build the church. Jesus says the people of God are the salt of the earth. Now, what does he mean by that? Let's, let's break down this metaphor because I think it's really helpful. Salt, historically, has been used for two basic functions, to preserve and enhance. In the time of Jesus, salt was used to preserve meat and prevent decay, and it also helped things taste good. It enhances flavor, and I think both of these meanings are at play as Jesus introduces this, meta this metaphor to describe kingdom citizens. We are called to preserve and to enhance. The people of God are called to preserve what is good. We are to hold tightly to what is good, to what God has said is good and promote it. Because we all know that in our fallenness as human beings, what we say is good doesn't always align with what God has said is good. Think about what we learned last week in the Beatitudes. God says it is good to be humble rather than proud. God says it's good to be meek rather than forceful. God says it's good to be hungry and thirsty rather than be filled by the wrong thing. God says it's good to be merciful. It's good to be a peacemaker and even persecuted if you are persecuted for the namesake of Christ. Well, as kingdom citizens, we should embrace these teachings. We are to live out these attributes that God says are good and to encourage them among each other and to those who are around us. We are to preserve that which is good. And we're also meant to make it appetizing. We're called by God to whet the spiritual appetites of all of those who are truly seeking God. Because as we preserve what is good, living it out amongst ourselves and promoting it in our society, people will notice. As they're trying to find a moral code to govern their life, as they try to make sense of this life and, and find a source, the true source of blessing, they will begin to look at us at our actions toward one another and toward others and the blessings that God rains down upon us as we live under the rule and reign and lordship of Jesus Christ and they will desire what we have. They will want a taste of what we have partaken of considering what God has said is good. Church family, we want to embody the kingdom. We should desire to embody the gospel so completely that when people look at us, they see Jesus. And they want to be a part of what God is doing amongst us. We are to be salt. We are also called to be light. Jesus says that you, disciples, we are the light of the world. And this second term obviously is deeply connected to the first. We promote, we preserve, 
we enhance and we direct. We shine a light on that which is good. As kingdom citizens, we should be so different that it's like morning dawning out of darkness or a city on a hill that you see from miles away as you walk in darkness. Because when people are in darkness, what grabs their attention? When you're in darkness, what do you notice? Light. Now, it's really hard for us to, to wrap our minds around true darkness because we're so accustomed to having light even at night. We kind of take it for granted. But in the history of the world, and even in our world today, that has not always been the case. Have you ever truly experienced darkness? Have you ever experienced dangerous darkness? The only thing that I can relate to in my life is when I try to go into my kids' rooms at night. We got blackout curtains in there because any light, you know, wakes them up. And every now and then I'll forget my phone or one of us, Jordan and I, need something in their room for the next morning. And you go in not knowing what these children have left on the floor. And it's dark. And you're doing everything you can to have any little bit of light to help you navigate the landmines that are there. Because you don't want to step on something and lose your religion right in front of your kids. Always waiting for the moment you find it and can turn back toward the door where the light is. Listen, friends, we are called to help those in darkness see what they cannot see. To recognize that there are dangerous things about their life and point them to the door of salvation whose name is Jesus Christ. We are called to be salt and light. Now, here's where Jesus' teaching, though, becomes even more helpful. Here's where he presses us as the people of God. Because this calling is more than an external calling. He's describing here more than an external reality. Because the call to be salt and light is the result of a greater work of God that does something on the inside and shows up on the outside. Because God's people have always had this expectation. From the moment God covenanted with Abraham and committed to, to making a nation, the whole point, according to Genesis 12, 2, and other places in the Old Testament, is that in blessing a nation, forming a nation, calling this nation to himself, through them, all other nations would be blessed. This was always a design. They would stand apart, they would be different, and that the nations would look at this nation worshiping the one true God and be drawn to them because of the blessing that, that God would reign out over them as they walked in obedience. They were to embody the blessing of God and draw the nations to right worship of the one true God. But this, this calling to be set apart proved to be too weighty in their own strength and their own flesh. Over and over and over again on the pages of the Old Testament, we see the people of God failing to live holy, set-apart lives. Not embracing the call to be salt and light. Rather, they chose to become like other nations. They asked to become like other nations rather than remaining distinct from them. They knew the expectations God had clearly outlined for them. What the expectations of being his people were. We see that in the law. Here's how you are to worship me. 
Here's how you're to relate to one another. Here's how you're to forgive one another and take care of of moments of brokenness amongst you. Here's how you're to deal with the nations around you. Here's how you love me. And here's how you love others. But even the, the ones who look set apart within the people of God really weren't because all of these people were as broken and power hungry and selfish as everyone else. They tried to be set apart on the outside, but there was something inside still broken. There was a work that needed to be done. So here's what Christ says about living in a set apart way in his kingdom. Here's what he says. The law is helpful, but it's not enough. You see that here in verses 13 to 20. You need the law to help you know what is good. You need the law to help you know what pleases the Lord so you can preserve it and promote it. But you need something else. You need another work of God to make you believe that what he said is good. To make you love what he said is good. To truly be set apart The law can help us know what it looks like to be set apart, but it cannot help us live in a set apart way. Look at verses 17 to 20 in particular. Here's what Jesus says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very clear. He's not doing away with the law. Rather, he is fulfilling it and fulfilling it in a Romans chapter seven kind of way, wherein Paul outlines for us the purpose of the law, looking back on it on the other side of the cross. Jesus here is showing the effectiveness of the law to reveal his unique righteousness and unveil our complete unrighteousness. See, the law has a purpose and it reveals our need. And it also reveals Christ as our great provision to be truly set apart. This is what Christ is helping us understand. To be salt and light, we need the righteousness of Christ infused into us to transform us from the inside out. To be fit for the kingdom, we need the king. And see how Jesus unfolds this as he deals with with two areas that we continue to struggle with today in terms of how we are to live a set-apart life. Look at his teaching on anger and lust in verses 21 to 30. Let's begin with anger in verses 21 to 26. Here's what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, 
Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now look at how Jesus teaches us about dealing with anger as kingdom citizens. He begins with the law. He references the Ten Commandments going back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. He says, you've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But notice how Jesus goes further. Notice how he presses in even more. He moves beyond the exterior, the outward action of murder, to the interior, reminding us that the heart has always mattered more to God. Now listen, God's law still stands. Don't murder people, okay? Everybody on board with that? But also recognize that murder is a symptom of a larger issue that begins on the inside. Listen, church family, you can look good on the outside and still have the rot of sin living on the inside. It happens all the time. And Jesus is saying, that is not what it means to be salt and light, And it's the same thing with lust. Look at verses 27 to 30. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better to... For you to lose one of your members, then your whole body go into hell. Again, Jesus begins here with the law. He references one of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. But he goes further. Adultery begins with an internal desire that is not of God. So the issue is not just the physical act of adultery. It's also lust. It's desiring something that is not yours. Desiring something that does not honor God, nor God's design. So here's the point, ultimately. You can look set apart for a season. You can look salty. You can look different for a moment. But if the inside is not fixed, it will eventually show up on the outside. I was talking with some of our pastors earlier this week and Pastor Jeff mentioned to me an illustration that I thought was super helpful. Um, You guys know what this is, right? Beach ball. We love the beach. We love going to the water. And we've played many times with this beach ball, not with a Nawana beach ball. Although if you haven't signed up your kids for Awana, please do so. (laughs) But one of our favorite things to do is to see how long we can keep a beach ball underwater. Have you done this? Um, we try to hold it down, suppress it, to, to ask or challenge each other how long we can hold it under. But what inevitably happens with the beach ball when it's pushed underwater? That's exactly right. <laughs> he knows. It pops up. No matter how long you hold it, no matter how hard you press it, eventually this beach ball is going to come up. And the further down you push it, the higher it will pop up. Now, friends, how many of us treat our sin in this way? 
How many of us approach our sin by trying to manage it and press it and push it down? I want you to hear me tonight. It's as futile as holding a beach ball underwater because eventually your sin will pop up. And the longer you've pressed it down, the further you've pressed it down, the more damage it will do when it pops up out of the water. Jesus is calling us to something different. Hear me, you cannot manage your sin. You cannot control your sin. And that is not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to transformation, not management. We can't work it from the outside in. He's declaring to us an inside out work that only he can do. Only when we have received the righteousness of Christ can we be set apart. If you try to be righteous in your own strength, here's the promise. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven according to verse 20. But when you get the righteousness of Christ, the repentance and belief, When he infuses his life into yours, you get a righteousness that will qualify you for eternity because it is his, freely given. We need knowledge of what is good. We also need the desire to do what is good. And those things can only happen through Christ. So here's the question, church family. Do we look different? Are we noticeably different? different as a people from the inside out. We need to be on guard on this. It's too important. It's too important to the mission. God is calling us to himself to draw the nations to himself. We need to be committed to living in a set apart, salt and light kind of way. So let's, let's engage with this a little bit spending a little bit more time on our response to the teaching because I think it's very important for us as a people of God to make sure that we are cultivating saltiness, that we are cultivating being light bearers for the gospel. How should we respond or think about responding to the the teaching here of Jesus in this section of Matthew chapter five? Well, the first thing I wanna encourage us in is to beware of outward in approaches to righteousness. I need you to hear me this morning. Outward in, works-based approaches to righteousness are contrary to the gospel. In fact, Paul says in Galatians, they are a different gospel. It's a different gospel. For you to say that you can work your way to God or work your way to righteousness is contrary to the message of the Bible. You cannot work your way to Christ. You cannot train yourself to be holy through an exertion of the will. Righteousness transformation does not happen outside to in. You must be born again. You must be born again by the spirit. You must be transformed from the inside out because eventually everything you're trying to suppress in your own strength will pop up. Friends, it is futile to strive to making yourself holy or fit for the kingdom. Can we just surrender this morning and trust in the work of Christ? It is enough. It is all that we need. Now, his work will show up in your life, but it's a consequence of faith, not the means to faith. 
Let's be very clear on that because we, that's something that as a, as a church we've got to constantly be fighting for because in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, we want to be in control of our own destiny. We want, to, we want to be in control of our standing before God. It's hard for us to release control. That's exactly what God is calling us to do. And it's also very different from every other major religion. Every other religion says, here's God, here's you, figure out a way to get up. Or obey these steps and get up. And maybe, maybe you'll achieve righteousness. Maybe you'll be acceptable when you die. Christianity is so different. And we need to protect the singularity of this message that when we could not go to God, he came to us. And his work is what makes us fit to come to him. Let's never get over that. And let's be uncompromising on that truth. So, Beware of outward and approaches to righteousness. Reject them. They're contrary to the gospel. But then secondarily, embrace the right work of the law, which if we're not careful can lead us to a works-based thinking, but we're not leading to a works-based thinking here. We're trusting in Christ, but we're also seeing the benefit of the law. We should read and study the law because the law exposes sin. It teaches us what is good. And it teaches us what is bad. It helps us value what God values, which is good. It teaches us the character and nature of God. We get to learn more about our God as we read the law. But ultimately, its greatest work is to point us to Christ. Because as we engage the law, the mirror of Scripture, it shows us all the places in our heart on the inside that don't line up to God's standard. And it presses us to consider what is it that we have to do to be saved. And praise the Lord, we don't have a temporary sacrifice anymore that can be offered weekly or once a year. We have a, we have a permanent once and for all sacrifice given to us in Christ Jesus that will cover us and equip us to walk in holiness to the glory of God. So let's embrace the right work of the law, not pointing us to works to achieve righteousness, but leading us to works out of righteousness given to us in faith. And with those two bedrocks in place, then we can evaluate our set of partners. Then we can evaluate if we are truly walking in salt as salt and light. Let's press in here a little bit more because I think these are really important questions that Jesus is asking of us as the people of God, because clearly what he's addressing here in verses 21 to 30 have been issues of humanity forever and still permeate today. Are you, individual Christian church member, are you living a noticeably different life? I think there are two pandemics happening in our time beyond covid Two pandemics that have lasted much longer than COVID actually, but I think COVID has elevated their presence in our lives. There's a pandemic of the mouth and a pandemic of the mind. I wanna walk through these just to, for a minute if I can. Firstly, a pandemic of the mouth. Have you noticed that people are angry lately? Isn't it shocking how angry people are? I mean, you can't turn on the radio or the TV and not see people yelling at each other or fighting with each other. It seems like we are more angry than we've ever been culturally. And unfortunately, the anger outside of the church 
has infiltrated inside the church. And we get mad over the littlest things. Now, I've not been around enough to know what in particular we get mad at here, but I'm just speaking generally about the church. Okay, this is from 10,000 foot view. Churches get mad over the color of carpet. Do you know that churches have split over the color of carpets? And that's stunning. We get mad over the order of service, how we offer our worship to the Lord. It's not in the way I want it, so I'm going to get mad at it. We get mad over the style of music. And more recently, we've gotten mad over wearing masks. Listen, I'm not saying that we can't disagree over certain things. I'm not saying that if you were making the decisions or if you were involved in decisions, you would make different decisions. What I'm talking about is the way that we address those differences. And what I've seen, unfortunately, happen in a lot of churches is that we've just come unglued. Saying things to each other that have no place and no business amongst the people of God. And beyond that, we don't even have the nerve to say in person We'll write on Facebook as if nobody can read it. As if the whole world's not watching. Let me just ask you, church family, does this look set apart? Bayleaf, if, if that were to happen here, is, does that make us look set apart? Does that make us look salty? Does that make us look light-filled, pointing to, to Jesus? Doesn't it make us look like we're just like everyone else? feels like very often the church is being more affected by our culture than affecting it, and that has to change. It has to, has to stop. Friends, we've got to be careful about how we allow the enemy to use our tongues for destruction because God wants our tongues for the proclamation of the gospel. Let's be resolute. Can I just challenge us today? Be careful what you say. Be careful what you post. Be careful what you write. And when you mess up, and we all will mess up because we're broken people, okay? So there's room for grace here. But when we mess up, run. Don't walk to make it right. That's what we're called to here, right? That's what he says. Because it affects your worship according to, to God here or to Jesus. So if, who is God? If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember, your brother has something against you. Stop your worship. Isn't that stunning? Stop it. Because you can't be right with God and wrong with others. So leave your gift first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser before you go sit before the judge. Because as we saw last week, he's already forgiven us greater than any offense that we could do toward another. So how seriously do we take that, church family? Is there an offense in your life? Do you need to leave the altar? I pray there would be people who would be texting right now, the one time you can text in church, that you wouldn't leave this building before you make a phone call to say, hey, there's enmity between us. I did something or we did something or I was offended by this. We need to make this right. The gospel's too important. The unity of the church is too important. This, this people is too important. I will not let anger stir in my heart to bitterness and cause division where God desires unity. And then 
That's the pandemic of the mouth. We got this pandemic of the mind, lust. Now, I want to be careful here because I know we have multiple generations sitting amongst us. But I think we all recognize that with the advancement of technology, the enemy has taken hold of the thought lives of many men and women. There's so much lust-filled and lust-inducing digital content that it's creating an epidemic of addiction, ruining lives, again, men and women, ruining marriages, ruining jobs, ruining ministries. Because unfortunately, the church is not that set apart in this either. And often, it's worse in the church as we try to manage our sin for fear of speaking what's happening in our thought lives. And if I could just for a minute give you a, an overview of how serious this situation is with some statistics from a place called Covenant Eyes, which is a really wonderful uh, tool to help monitor online activity if you need it. But here's some of their statistics. These are statistics of men who view something online, inappropriate online. Y'all tracking with me what I mean there? Men viewing something inappropriate online, lust-filled, lust-inducing content at least once a month. 79% of 18 to 30-year-olds say they view something inappropriate at least once a month. 67% of 31 to 49-year-olds view something inappropriate at least once a month. And 49% of 50 to 68-year-olds. That's a lot of people. And again, not just, not just men, this is, this is statistics for women. 76% of women versus 18 to 30 year, years old view something inappropriate at least once a month. 16% of 31 to 49 year olds and 4% of 50 to 68 year olds among women. Among churchgoers, 64% of Christian men admit to viewing something inappropriate at least once a month while 15% of Christian women admit to such an activity. And I think that number is only gonna grow as a generation comes up that is more accustomed to these things and has so much availability. Here's all I wanna say, friends. Are we living in a set-apart way here? Are we valuing people or objectifying people? Do we see people as image bearers or means of self-gratification. I want to challenge you this morning. If you struggle with this, there is grace. Grace beyond measure. Would you repent today? Would you ask God to forgive you and, and cling to him? More than that, would you ask for help? This is our joy, to walk alongside you, to help you step into the fullness of God's kingdom. We want you to live in a set-apart way, not only for the blessing of the gospel to the world, but for the blessing of your own life. Because we believe when you're walking in holiness, there's tremendous joy and happiness. And we want you to walk in that. Don't think just because you haven't acted on the outside that your internal battle is okay. Let's let the work of the gospel show up in the whole of your life. And we want to walk alongside you in doing that. Would you ask the Lord to capture your heart with the gospel? Would you ask your Lord to capture your heart with the beauty of Christ? And would you ask the church to come alongside you in helping you do that? I just believe there are going to be some people in here who step into freedom today. 
Because if the stats are right, many of us in this room struggle. Let's quit hiding our struggle because, friends, it will pop up. And what will be left in its wake when it does? Come, let us, let's walk together for the glory of God and live set apart lives, holy and blameless for the King Jesus. The final thing I want us to do is challenge our corporate set-apartness. Bayleaf, do we look different? Do we look like just another country club or a group of like-minded people? Or do we look like transformed kingdom citizens? Let me ask you, do you love in a supernatural way the person sitting next to you? Do you love in a supernatural way the person across the room who may have different political convictions than you? Do you love in a supernatural way the people who would normally be different or that you wouldn't have any association with? Can we just ask the Lord to grow our love for one another? That, that being apart from each other would be difficult because we so love this family that God has knitted together? Can we champion unity? Are we willing to set aside preference on things that are not clearly spoken in scripture, secondary things for the greater good? Because we love each other and we love the Lord and we want him to get the glory as people watch us walk in unity when others would be divided. Don't you know the world's longing for that? Don't you know the world is longing for a place to come and see people truly, truly caring for each other, truly loving each other, truly setting aside differences for the greater good that only happens when the work of Christ is present amongst us. That only happens amongst, amongst a transformed people. Let's take this covenant membership stuff seriously. When we disagree, because there will be disagreement. Let's not run to divorce. Let's run to reconciliation. Let's take seriously the idea that blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the sons of God. Can we just be committed to seeking peace, gospel resolution to conflict when it exists, because we want to be a light to the world about how to interrelate differently. I just believe that if we became this kind of kingdom outpost, if we were this committed to the work of the gospel, if we were this salty in a good way, this light bearing, that God would rain down blessing upon us as a people. Can we strive for that? Transformed hearts and the empowerment of the Spirit, let us be salt and light, set apart noticeably different for the glory of God. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time asking God to help you know how to respond this morning. Maybe some of you in this room are saying, Jared, I've been striving for righteousness my whole life. I've been thinking that salvation comes outside in and I just need to repent and believe in Jesus today. To trust in his provision. Because I recognize that the only righteousness that will make me fit for the kingdom of God is the righteousness 
of Christ. And I need to confess with my mouth that he is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We would love to speak with you more about that. For the rest of us, how are we looking? Let's resist this outward in temptation, remain committed to the gospel. Let's embrace the law for its goodness as it becomes a, a teacher for us of the character and nature and expectation of God to help us know what to promote that's good, to hold fast to it for our blessing and the blessing of all of those around us. Let's also live it and the empowerment of the spirit with a transformed heart. How are you doing with anger? It's easy to get stirred up by reading stuff and watching cable news. It's really easy to get stirred up. Are you being affected more by the world or are you affecting the world? Doesn't mean we can't disagree, but are we peacemaking? How are you doing with lust? Maybe some of y'all need to come up here and pray at the altar. Asking God to, to rain down supernaturally in your life. Maybe you need some help. And we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. Say, hey, I need some help. Maybe you know somebody who's in addiction and you want to come up here and pray for God to release them. The altar's open. And would you pray that we would be a people who are truly a kingdom outpost, that we would not let these minor things get in the way of the gospel work God has called us to. We will be single-minded and focused that we will be salt and light. Father, would you help us? Find us faithful, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.